0: So last time we went over a couple of different handouts, one of which was this Advancing the Runner baseball diamond handout. Does anyone want a copy of that that wasn't here for the first training oh. or didn't, didn't get it printed off? Karen, would you pass those around to those who want them? Thank you. <laughs> now when we're talking about Advancing the Runner, This is, of course, the work that God does, but God works through means, and so he works through us. And the basic idea here that you want to keep in mind is that different people that you're going to talk with have different levels of understanding of the truth. I'm going to move the camera so I'm not looking over it when I'm looking at you guys. There's no one over here, so that would be a, a fair spot for it. That should be just fine. All right, that's better. And so you're going to meet some students who will be well churched and they've learned and understand that that God is real, that the Bible is God's Word, that the Bible teaches that we're sinners and that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. And yet they'll be under conviction at that moment that I've known all this, but I've never put my trust in Christ and repented and been converted. So you'll meet some like that at events like this. Others you'll meet and they really don't know hardly anything about God. They've been misinformed by the culture. They don't know much about the Bible. They don't know why the Bible is God's word and other things are not. They don't know what the message of the Bible is. Maybe they've been to church, but the church that they've been to hasn't really taught the sin and the gospel and the way that you find it in scripture. And so when they're responding, you're going to want to help them to make sure that they understand exactly what is the message that has been preached, which is, God willing, the message that we find within the New Testament, the gospel of the apostles and prophets, the gospel that Jesus himself preached. And so that's the the big idea here, is that you want to try to figure out where the person is in their understanding, and then make sure that you're presenting them the information that they need in order to act upon God's call to receive Christ and be born again. So first base, if you take a look, uh, just as a quick reminder, is scriptural authority, that the Bible is God's word. And so when you're talking with the students, you want to let them know that God is real and that God has spoken to us and that the Bible is God's word. And if they have questions about that, if they have uh, concerns about that, You don't necessarily have to prove all of that when you're sitting and talking with them after the event, but you want to let them know that that is the basis for the message that was taught and that the Bible is the authority from which we're sharing with them the message of salvation in God's word. And the key thing there is to not just get stuck at first base, but instead to make sure that you're getting to the gospel because you're going to have a lot of students who will have questions, and some of those questions are going to be sincere questions. Some of the questions can be kind of dodges or excuses as to why they don't need to change or why they don't need to repent. And so it's going to take some leaning upon God's spirit and God's wisdom, and that's why we pray, to know how are you supposed to answer to each person so you don't get going down a bunny trail and get away from presenting the gospel and their need for conversion. Because that's the goal here: is to get them to the home plate, where you've got repentance, salvation, and recommitment there at the home plate. So, God is the moral law giver; He's the God of the Bible, and the standard of the Bible is objective truth, the Word of God. That's what's going to be presented here Wednesday night at the high school. And so, the law in the Bible teaches us about our sinfulness in the Old Testament. Was the foundation. God gave this whole 39 books of the Bible to show that we needed Christ, that Christ is the only way of salvation, that we can't be saved by good works because God gave the Jewish people every opportunity to do the law and to be set up for success, and they failed, showing that we need the new covenant that's in Christ. And so the Ten Commandments, the law are there as a mirror to show us our sinfulness. And if you want to make sure that the student is experiencing a genuine conviction of sin that so that they can make a genuine action of faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior from sin. That's the problem here is not society. The problem is not our upbringing. The problem is not that we're not always being as good as we can be or as we should be. The problem is sin. And when you understand sin, according to the scriptures, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and the penalty for sin is death, then people are ready to hear the good news about Jesus. So that's why second base is the law and sin. And then third base is that personal conviction, that realization where they realize that I'm a lost sinner and that if I don't get saved, I'm going to spend eternity apart from God. And so they have that conviction by the Holy Spirit. And some of the students that you come and talk with they're going to be there. They're going to be under the conviction of sin. They're going to be ready to trust in Christ to save them from their sin. Others, they're going to be kind of hazy and cloudy. And so they're going to say, well, I, you know, I've got some problems and I know I need some help, but they don't have that biblical understanding of being lost in sin, of being dead in sin, of needing to be born again through faith in Christ. And so that's where, with those students, you want to lead them to that message and and practice it at home this week about how to lead someone to a conviction of personal sin so that they can put their trust in Christ as the one who takes sin away. Does that make sense? Any questions about that, that goal, that big, big idea? Well, if you do have questions, I'm here for you you can give me a call. You can send me an email. All my contact information is on our church website and you can talk to your pastors and uh, you know, get help from anybody that you trust on this. And so the goal then is to get them to repent. To, that's to turn around, reverse course, and to call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved as the scripture says. This is justification by faith, being declared righteous in God's sight because of personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can talk a lot about making good choices and being moral and being on the narrow road, but that's not the gospel. That's the law. The gospel is the death and resurrection of Christ. And so that's where you really want to get to is talking about who's Jesus? Why did he die? What happened after that? And what's the significance of that for you and I? You haven't talked about the death and resurrection of Christ with them. You haven't shared the gospel. As Romans, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, I shared the matter of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. You got to get that focus. That's where you're going as you're advancing the runner. All right. So with that as a review, and I've got more of these handouts here if you didn't get one and you'd like to to pick one up tonight. and uh, I've got many copies of everything. The next thing I wanted to talk about with you was we went through our situation studies last time at the end of our training in the first session. Who didn't get a copy of the situation studies packet? Uh, Karen, I'll, I'll let you be my hand router again. Now on the last page of the situation studies there is a page that has common responses, smoke screens, lies, and excuses. It's not politically correct to call people uh, out on lies and excuses and smoke screens, but remember what the scripture says. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I, the Lord, understand and search the heart and the mind. So people are deceived and they're deceiving themselves. They may not even be intentionally lying to you, but this, the heart is tricky. The heart is deceitful. And it's going to just make up excuses and smoke screens to, to try to avoid the conviction of the Holy Spirit and faith in Christ. And you want to try to help people see through those smoke screens and lies and lead them to faith. So, one of the smoke screens or lies here on the page is I've always been a Christian. And that's what a lot of students in our area think. They think, well, I grew up in a Christian home, I went to a Christian church, I've always been a Christian. And you don't become a christian by living in a christian culture you become a christian through personal faith in christ and that's the goal of our you know evangelism outreach here is to get some of those kids who think that they're christians to actually become christians and to learn what that means so if they say i've always been a christian don't just say oh good i'm just gonna go talk to somebody else you're great Uh, but find out what do you mean by christian and how does someone become a christian and you start to ask questions and that, that key question you always want to remember in situations like this is, what do you mean by that? Write that down. Then you, the student says, I've always been a Christian. Well, what do you mean by that? And they, Well, you know, my parents are Christians. I grew up in church. Uh, I believe the Bible, you know, whatever. And then as you ask the question and listen, the Holy Spirit's going to be with you to give you wisdom to know, well, what do I say next? And, and go with that. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, and he's going to use you. And don't be afraid or ashamed or uh, nervous or saying, well, I, I can't say that. It would be too offensive or something along those lines. But if it's biblical and it's true and God is putting it on your heart when you're talking to that person and listening, then that's, that's how God works. Okay. Another smokescreen or common excuse is I don't believe in the Bible. And they could say this in a lot of different ways. They could say, "Well, I, you know, the Bible seems to say some things that are immoral, like you know when God told the Jews to to kill all those people uh, in the nations back in Joshua's day, or that you know we are taught that evolution is true, and the Bible teaches that we were created, you know, in six days, and uh, all that type of thing." So there's lots of different ways they can say, "You know, I don't trust the Bible. I don't think the Bible is true." They can say, "Well." You know, the Bible teaches hatred against homosexuals or something like that. And so if somebody puts up a a reason like that, you want to try to find out, is that the real thing that is on their heart and mind? Or are they just throwing that up to kind of create a, a discussion and get you on your heels, to get you defensive? This is key when you see Jesus with the woman at the well. That when he was talking with her and she was feeling conviction for her sin, she said, well, you know, you do say that Jerusalem is the place to worship, but we believe that we can worship on our mountain. And she wanted to get into a discussion about religion. And so be careful that you don't go down the bunny hole uh, of a discussion about what the Bible says on homosexuality or young earth versus evolution. That may not be what's really on their heart and mind. They might just be bringing it up to try to get the attention off of their own need for God, their own need for Christ and salvation. Okay. Um, Now, what do you do if somebody brings up one of those issues? You can't be rude and say, well, that's just a bunny trail. You know, you're just giving me a smokescreen. You don't want to do it that that way. But instead, you can say something like, that's a great discussion. That's an important thing. But I don't know if that's what we're supposed to focus on right now because we just heard a message about, you know, this, this, and this. And you, you tie it back into what Keith was saying. And Keith is going to be setting you up really well with his gospel presentation. He's going to be talking about sin. He's going to be talking about repentance. He's going to be talking about Christ. He's going to be talking about his death and his resurrection. So just gently bring it back to that when somebody puts up one of these smokescreens or excuses. Somebody might say, well, I prayed and accepted Christ at church camp. And so, well, okay, I guess you're good. Uh, You know, go, go talk with someone else. Um, If someone says, I prayed and accepted Christ at church camp, what do you do? Do you just stuck and say, well, there's nothing more I can say. What do you do? Any ideas or thoughts? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Whoever that prayer, and uh, is that where your journey is? Good. Yeah. So asking a question is a great way to follow up. And as you ask questions, then like I said, God's gonna give you wisdom to know what does this person need to hear? And you're gonna discern the heart as you ask questions and you listen. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. So you gotta ask questions and listen, and with God's help, know how you're supposed to respond to each person. And I know, you think, well, I can't do that. Other people can do that much better than I. Well, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit in you. If you've got the Holy Spirit, then you've got everything you need. And I've seen this so many times. I, I promise you, God will be with you. All right? And that's I can promise you that because Christ promises it. and He keeps his promises. So if somebody says, I prayed and accepted Christ at church camp, you can say, well, you know, what do you think God wants you to do next? or You know, what does that mean for your relationship with God? What does it mean to accept Christ? And how has that made itself manifest in your life? Are you walking with Christ? You know, just those types of things can lead you into the discussion to find out, is this person saved or are they not saved? And if they're saved, then you want to encourage them to grow and you want to encourage them to continue in the faith. If they're not saved, then you want to encourage them to get saved. So that's part of the key discerning here is trying to figure out where they are on uh, the the running chart. And you might meet kids who are saved. You might get a kid who comes forward and he is saved, but he's dealing with some sin, some temptation, uh, some spiritual issue, some relationship, and really wants help with that. And so you don't know who you're going to meet that night, but God does. So I just want to talk a little bit about how to deal with smoke screens, responses, excuses, that type of thing. And that page is on the back of These situation studies, and I encourage each of you to, to take a look at the situation studies again before Wednesday and just mentally go through and ask God for wisdom. Think through it scripturally, how you could respond in each situation. The more you practice something, the better you get. Doesn't mean that God can't use you if you're not well practiced, but doesn't hurt to be a powerful tool that is ready as well. All right. So we did a review of what we covered last time, and now I want to do a little bit of Bible study. So I see some of you brought your Bibles, the rest of you have your phones, and that's always a good way to read the Bible as well. And I want you to look at Galatians eight. Everybody look up Galatians 1.8 here. After Romans, you've got Galatians, and Galatians is a very important book, excuse me, after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you've got Galatians, for the gospel. Romans and Galatians are kind of sister epistles. They're both on the subject of the gospel, making sure that Christians are clear as to what exactly the gospel is, in light of the way that Satan likes to twist and distort the gospel. If our mission is to make disciples by preaching the gospel of Christ, then what's our adversary going to do? Well, he's going to try to confuse us on what the gospel message is. That's going to be one of his main tactics. And we see this happening very early in the church. Somebody want to read out loud for us as a group? Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, Let him be accursed. So, what are the consequences, according to Galatians 1 8, of preaching a different kind of gospel, a different good news? Yeah, that's pretty strong terminology, isn't it? And so, we want to make sure that we are preaching and understanding the gospel accurately. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we are to be approved workmen who are not ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. And so as you go on Wednesday night, you have to be an approved workman who knows the gospel and is able to teach the true gospel. Because if you don't, as much as I appreciate your willingness and, and your heart for people and your desire to be there for the teenagers... If you don't know the gospel or if you've been confused on the gospel, then you're not ready to be a gospel worker. That's why we do these training sessions is to remind you and equip you and encourage you. But I'd rather have you stay home than go and preach a false gospel. And if that means we don't have as many volunteers and as many workers, well, God can handle that. But we want to make sure that we are handling accurately the word of truth, and that we're not falling under this curse of preaching a gospel contrary to the one that the apostles preached. The New Testament apostolic gospel, that's the gospel, and we want to be on our guard against false versions of that. And when it comes to understanding the gospel, just a few key things here that we've already discussed, but it's important for us to reiterate and highlight. Number one, the gospel is has to do with sin and judgment. That the gospel is about forgiveness of sins, and that forgiveness of sins is accomplished by faith in what God has done. I like a quote that I read just today, and I'll remind you guys of it. It says, we are not saved by our hold on Christ, but we are saved by Christ. So, Faith is the means of salvation, but faith is not the basis of salvation. You're not saved because of your faith, but you're saved because of Christ and what Christ has done for you. And then faith is the way that that salvation comes to you. Let me give you an illustration to help you understand that. If we had this television turned on, the electricity is powering the television. It's it's turning it on. The electricity can't get to the television without a power cord. So you could say the power cord is what, when you plug in the power cord, that's what turns on the TV or enables the TV to be turned on. But it's not actually the power cord, it's the electricity that flows through the power cord. And that's the way it is with Christ and faith. Faith is the power cord through which the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God to save, flows into the life so that we can be saved. And you recognize that we're pointing people to Christ. We're not pointing people to good works or faithfulness, and you can be saved if you're just faithful enough to God or something along those lines, but we want their confidence and faith to be in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that's very important to be able to preach the gospel clearly as it's been confused by many false teachers, and that's pretty much what Paul is dealing with here in Galatians, was false teachers who are coming along and saying, yeah, Christ is important, and you got to you know, have faith in Christ, but then you also have to do these other things like be circumcised and keep the law. And then then if you do that, then you're really going to be saved. And Paul says that's a different gospel, and you are cursed if you accept that gospel or if you preach that gospel. So let's be clear that it is Christ that saves us, and faith is the means by which we accept that gift, the way that God's power for salvation flows to us. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? Anybody want to ask a, a question and put me on the spot? if you do have questions, feel free to talk to me afterwards, okay? I'll stick around for a little while. You can talk with me about any of this. So once you understand that the gospel is about sin and salvation, forgiveness in God's sight, and that it's because of, it's based upon what Christ has done by dying as our substitute at the cross, that we can be saved when we call upon the name of the Lord and believe that he is the one who is satisfying God's righteous judgment against sin on our behalf. It's really a sacrifice. It's an idea that many evangelists have pointed out as paying our fine, paying our debt. And that idea of Christ paying for our sins is very important. That you're not just saying, well, God loves you and he proved that he loved you by the cross. And if you accept God's love, it's going to change your life. That's true, but it's not enough. It's not clear. It could be confused in their minds, and they could think that Christ was dying just as an example of, of how valuable we are to God, instead of recognizing that Christ was dying to pay the penalty for our sins. You see the difference? So yes, the cross does demonstrate God's love, but that's not all that's going on at the cross. And you've got to have that substitution, Christ in our place, the Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world. And once you present that, then you've Clearly presented the gospel. All right. So if we understand sin, if we understand Christ's sacrifice, and we understand the role of faith, then we're ready to call the person to belief in the New Testament gospel of Paul and the other apostles. All right. So there is a whole packet on this that I'm not going to go through tonight. It's got hundreds of verses. It would be much more than we can do in one sitting. But I'm going to include this in the email that I send out with the recording of what we're covering tonight. And so if you want to download it and look at the rest of this study on who is God and what is the gospel, I'm going to make that available for you as the Todd Becker Foundation has made it available for me. All right. Now I have another handout for you that I don't think anybody has received yet. We didn't use it last time. And let's see. i just hand those out to everybody. And while Karen is handing out the handout, you can all turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. That's going to be our scriptural basis for developing your personal testimony. That is the story about how God has worked in your life to save you. And we see a, a great example for us here in John chapter 9. It's actually one of my favorite biographical studies in the gospel of John. John is a master at painting portraits of people, and the guy here who is born blind and is healed by Jesus is an excellent example of John's ability to capture a personality and to bring it out as he teaches us about Christ. So we're going to start off with reading John chapter nine, and then we're going to use it as our template to talk about how we're supposed to share from our lives, how God has worked, what our life was like before Christ, what took place at conversion, and how God has changed our life after we have become Christians. This is using your personal testimony in order to share the gospel. I encourage you to have scriptures that you have memorized in order to share the gospel. The Roman road is an excellent Set of scriptures to memorize you can memorize passages like john three sixteen and other key gospel passages first corinthians 15 which i quoted earlier so that you've got some scripture ready but another great tool that you have to be able to share the gospel with others is your personal testimony and that's what this training is designed to encourage you and help you to develop that tool in your toolkit and maybe this is what god is going to have you is why he's bringing you on Wednesday night so that you can share your testimony with someone else and God can use that to make a change in their life as well. So let's go ahead and take a look here at John chapter 9. I'll read it out loud so it comes through on the video for those who are at home. It says this, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. We can stop there for now. So let's take a look then at the handout, and you see how it talks about developing your personal testimony. I want to read the opening paragraph there at the top of the handout together. That we are saved should be manifest in the pattern of our lifestyle, both in actions, thoughts, and equally important, that we share about our faith in Jesus Christ with others. In sharing the gospel and the word of God with others, it's very effective and important to use your story to help personalize the power of God's word. If it's changed your life, it can change theirs. I'll put that in the positive. The sharing of our personal story of coming to faith in Christ is called our testimony. So when you're giving your personal testimony, it's the story about how faith in Christ has saved you and how faith in Christ then can save others. Now, as we look then at his life before Christ, we're looking down at point number one on the handout, and you see the blind beggar. What was he like before Christ? Anybody want to answer that? What was his life like? Well, he was blind and he was a beggar. I don't know if you got anything else to add to that. Probably not the best life, not what everybody is hoping for. And how does that correspond to a personal testimony of? Your salvation in Christ, or my salvation in Christ? In what way? Okay, good. So we were spiritually blind. We couldn't see the truth. We didn't understand God. We were in this uh, state of spiritual blindness. So that's good. The Bible talks about that, and that's really one of the key metaphors that the Bible uses for salvation, is being blind and now seeing. There's others that are important, too, but that's, one, that's a good one. So I want you to think through what was your life like before you were born again. And as you think through that, you want to think through you know, your heart. What did you value? What did you pursue? What did you long for before Christ? I remember as a young person, my goal in life before I woke up, before I was, my spiritual blindness was taken away, was to be more successful than my dad. I looked at my dad, he's pretty successful. I want to do even better than him. And so, you know, had plans on how I was going to be successful in life. And so a lot of people are still in that state. They don't know what life is about, they don't know why they were created. They're blind to God's purpose, just like I was. And so you want to be able to share that for you in a way that the person who's listening to you can understand what it means to become a Christian. So if people are raised in a Christian home, it can be difficult sometimes for them to understand their sin and what's wrong with their outlook and their perspective. You know, I was a pretty good kid outwardly. I obeyed my parents. I went to church. I was pretty easygoing and easy to get along with. But I had this selfish ambition. I had wrong goals for my life that were based upon this heart that didn't understand, it didn't see what it meant to follow Christ. Okay? So I want you to think through that for yourself. I'm going to give you some time here in a minute to to write some things down about your personal testimony, okay? And there you could read the rest of the paragraph also as I give you some time. But then let's move on to number two here together. What took place that changed me? You want to share your conversion. Remember, salvation is a moment of conversion. It's where repentance is this key word. Jesus preached it. The apostles preached it. That when you're repenting, you're converting and you're turning away from a certain way of living that's going to destruction. And you're turning back to God through Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's a, that's a big change. That's a, a 180, a total direction change from sin to God. There couldn't be anything more opposite than those two things. So what was the turning point in the blind man's life? We just read it. What, what, what changed? He met Jesus, who made mud and put it on his eyes. And that's what he told in his testimony, right? People are like, well, what happened? Well, Jesus came along, he made mud, he told me to go wash, and boom, I could see. And so how does that correspond to our personal testimony of what changed in our lives when we became Christians? How would you describe it? Yeah. Yeah. So God's power was at work in me to, to change my heart, to change my direction, my motivation, my, my goals in life were completely changed because I met Jesus in that personal way. And that's what we're talking about here. All right. So as you're talking about your personal testimony, it says there, you can describe the circumstances in your life that caused you to see your need for Christ. What was going on in your life? How were you converted? Uh, what people or problems influenced your decision to turn away from your old direction and to go with Christ. And so again, I encourage you to read through that here as we take a moment to write down some thoughts about our own personal testimony. And then number three on the personal testimony is now, how is your life different than what it was before? And there it's referring to John chapter 9, verse 25. We didn't read down that far. So let's turn over to John 9, 25. And so he's had an interview with the leaders there of the the Jewish community, the synagogue. And he's told them the story about Jesus and they're not believing it. And so the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So, what was the man like after meeting Christ, according to 925? Now I see. Yeah. So, I was spiritually blind. I was lost in my goals in life. I didn't know what life was about. I met Christ. And now I see, now I understand things that I didn't understand and see before, and you want to share how that has been true in your life. And as you share that, then that's going to help the student to see, oh, okay, I'm like that, and I need Christ, and so I can have this new life as well. So the question there, you know, it says, how did he say he was given his sight back? Was it a home remedy, a a good physician? Was it an exercise program? Was it a health club? And here it gives the the spiritual parallels, you know, that it wasn't by going to church and cleaning up his life. It wasn't by Bible study or, or any of those types of things, but it was by that personal encounter with Christ and the power of God, the power of God's Holy Spirit, like you said. And so then you talk about how you're living now and what a difference Christ has made in your life. So I was at one of these events a number of years ago, not at Norris, but at a different high school, and I remember the young man that I got to counsel with afterwards, and I got to do this. I got to share my testimony with him, and I said, you know, you might not believe it, but it doesn't seem like that long ago to me that I was in high school like you, and when I was in high school, I had certain goals and plans for my life, and I had to realize that that was selfishly ambitious, that it was just being worldly, thinking like most people think, and that... God didn't care about any of those things, but that God wanted to save me from living for you know this and that and in order to live for him. And that my life has been tremendously blessed because of that decision, because of following Christ, and that's what I want for you. And that's why I'm here. It's because God has made such a difference in my life, and I want you to have that so that's where you're using your personal testimony if you are given that opportunity and if God should lead you to share that in your conversation. You don't have to. If you just want to focus on, well, the Bible says this and you need to uh, remember what Keith said and you need to do what Keith said that you've got to repent in Christ, or repent from your sin, put your faith in Christ, and this is the gospel, and do you believe that? then that's fine. You can just focus on on that. But if God leads you to share your testimony, I want you to be prepared and have that in your back pocket, so to speak. So let's do, let's uh, take a look at the second page here. Things to keep in mind when you're sharing your story. It's just some very important and somewhat straightforward things. You want to be honest. Don't exaggerate your story. Don't try to manipulate with uh, emotional things. But Said just just be honest and plain in your talk. And then it also says in point two, you want to avoid terms that we Christians might know, but that the, the student you're talking to might not know. Christianese are foreign words that they're gonna just have their eyes glaze over and they're not gonna be following you, but they'll probably be nodding their head and pretending like they understand what you're talking about. And so be careful that you think through and you look at the person and you really try to speak to them and not just repeat what you've heard other Christians say, but try to look at them and say, well, how do I communicate to this person? And if you do that, God will help you to, to put it into their frame of reference, to use terminology that, that they can understand and relate to. I remember I was sharing the gospel with a, a Muslim guy once on a college campus. And you, know, you wonder, well, how do you share the gospel with a Muslim? And well, you just ask questions and say, well, you know, what does your religion teach? And what do you believe? And And what is God like? And how do you know if you're going to go to heaven? And just ask those questions. And then, you know, he gives his answers. And then you say, well, here's what I believe according to what the Bible says. And here's where I see some key differences between what you've just said and and what I think the Bible teaches. And try to just lay out that truth for them. So I was talking with this Muslim guy. And and he was talking about how, you know, he's got to keep the pillars of Islam do the good works that the prophet told him to do and then hope that muhammad that allah excuse me will be merciful and will forgive him when he sees that he's trying his best and sincere and being very religious and devout. And so I had to share with him, you know, that all throughout, you know, the bible that there's these sacrifices for sins and that we need a sacrifice a substitute and that Christianity has that in the person of Jesus. Whereas in Islam, you don't have a sacrifice for sins. You've just got to hope that God is going to forgive your sins because you've tried hard enough to do what he says you should do. And so I left him with that that decision. Are you going to put your trust in your ability to do the things that God wants you to do? Or are you going to put your trust in what God did in sending a sacrifice for your sins? So be thinking about how to share with the person by asking them questions and thinking through, What does God want this person to hear that's going to open their eyes to the truth? So all that from avoid Christianese. Um, Some of the Christianese terms that you want to be careful about is, you know, born again, spiritual birth. Um, And so you want to help people understand what does it mean to be born again? It means you're you're given a new life, a, a fresh start. You come alive spiritually, and then that way you're describing what you mean by it. Um, we use the word lost a lot. What does it mean to be lost? I like what it says. You're heading in the wrong direction. You're on your way to hell. You're separated from God. That's good ways to describe what it means to be lost. And when you're sharing with someone, you tell them, well, you know, you got to believe the gospel. Well, they don't know what the gospel is, so you can't just tell them you got to believe the gospel. But instead, you say you believe God's message to us about Jesus what's the gospel? It's God's message to us about Jesus. And what's God's message about Jesus? Then you share with them about the death and resurrection of Christ, right? Um, Sin. A lot of people don't know what sin is. And so there it's got some great words to help you understand how to explain sin. Rejecting God. Breaking God's law. Being disobedient to God. And then the key illustration that I've heard Keith use a number of times is missing the mark. And so he'll talk about shooting an arrow at a target. And that when your arrow doesn't hit the target, you've, you've sinned, you've missed the mark. And that that's what is true in our lives morally, spiritually, we've missed the mark, and that is sin. Uh, repentance is another key word. Most people won't understand what you mean when you use the re- re- word repentance like I've been using and like the Bible uses. And so there's some ways that you can put it into language that the, the average American will understand. All right? So I want you to go through and think through your story, right? A little bit about what your life was like before salvation. And it's got some, some pointers there to help you in the, the box there on page number two. And then your conversion, when it was the first time you heard the gospel? How did you react to it? And then uh, what went through your mind before you accepted Christ? And then after, now what motivates my life? I think that's a good question right there. What motivates my life? Gratitude and thankfulness for the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Um, what are some specific things that Christ has changed in your life? Attitudes, thoughts, and and who is God in your life now? That's a great great way to go at it. Show that before I was in charge, I was God in my life. But now uh, God is the one who is the, the Lord and who is directing me. Um, so be thinking about that. And if you've got some paper and a pen, I'm going to give you about five or 10 minutes to jot down some things. And then maybe we'll share a little bit if you're feeling confident.